Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Um, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's uh, Sunday morning gathering. Glad that you can join us here on our live feed. Um, no matter where you're from and where um, you are in the world, locally, nationally, internationally, it is an honor for us to have you on our podcast. We can't tell you enough how much we appreciate you tuning into our podcast. Um, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you are social distancing properly. Hope you're getting time with the Lord, getting time with family. I hope you're, those of you who are working, you're able to work and remain safe in um, your workplace. And so, again, thank you for that. Also, I wanted our first responders, if you could send us an email at admin at epiphanyfellowship.org. I want to have a talk time just to check in with you guys, the first responders, those who are kind of on the front lines, um, whether it's in medicine or whatever field that you're in. I would love to just have a time uh, next week, a quick Zoom call with you all. So shoot us an email if we haven't already so that you can be on that Zoom call. It'll be a brief call, nothing big. Just want, really want to just check on you and see how you all are doing, how you all are faring, um, being around the virus as much as you all have to be around it. Want to pray for you and pretty much let you go, but just want to love on you in that way. Well, we are still in our undefeated series, and I'm excited um, to celebrate um, the fact that God is undefeated. Somebody say undefeated. Yeah, I'm excited that God's undefeated. How many of you are watching this video right now or watching this live right now? You, 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 you understand that God is undefeated in your life. Let's go over to a familiar passage, um, and we'll be in different parts of the whole chapter. Turn with me over to John 11. John 11. I won't read all of it. I'll read some of it. I'll read some of verses 1 through 16 and... I'll read verse 25 and then a few in the latter part of the chapter, and then we will dig into our text. Uh, 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 let's, let's go over to John 11. Chapter 1, uh, chapter, uh, John 11, verse 1. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Look at verse 25. It says in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And look over at verse 38. It says, 
Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Uh, It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, we're going to get into it in a second. I'd like to talk to you today. Uh, from the title of this, I'm titling this text today, if Jesus doesn't raise it, it won't get back up. If Jesus don't raise it, it won't get back up. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for your mercy and for your grace, for your kindness that knows no end. Will you encourage us? Fill me with your spirit. Despite flaws and brokenness, Lord God, come through here like a hurricane to encourage me, to encourage your people, and to encourage someone that, 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 that found themselves on here that might not know you, that you, will rec- that you would help all of us to recognize you as the mighty one who is able to raise anything up in our life. God, we thank you. God, we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Everybody agree with that? Say it. Amen, amen, amen. If Jesus don't, doesn't raise it, <laughs> it won't get back up. It won't get back up. I know that's a double negative, but I got to play with it a little bit. Um, I, used to, I used to be in the horror movies. I don't watch horror movies anymore. But I, I used to be in the horror movies hard. Not the, not the hyper ones that's kind of, you know, incantations and all of that. But I used to be into horror movies. And, and being in the horror movies, you see all different types of, types of movies. I have my favorite kinds. But I was watching this one one time. I, I, had to, I, I, I turned that joint off. But what ended up happening with it is this guy, this scientist, wanted to be able to resuscitate people. And so uh, he, was, he was working and working and working to resuscitate people. And, 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 and finally, he had learned, quote, unquote, the secret of resuscitating people, but uh, because he wanted to help people to get people back and their loved ones back and be able to be able to be known as this miraculous person. But interestingly enough, when he did this particular thing and raised this person up, the, the, the person raised up again, but what's crazy is what raised up was the body, but what was in it was not the person. In other words, he did an illegitimate resurrection that brought back more consequences than he expected because he raised it in his own power. Many of us in our life try to raise things up in our life by our own power. Listen, and when you try to raise something up in your own power, you have to sustain it. And listen, anything that Jesus doesn't resurrect in your life is going to take more energy in your life to sustain. I don't want to be the sustainer of anything. If, if something's dead, I want God to raise it if he wants it back in your life. Let me explain something to you. If God wants it back in your life, he'll raise it up in your life. But don't be a person that tries to create an illegitimate resurrection because if you create an illegitimate resurrection, you may get that relationship back. You may get that friend back. You may get that place back. But if God was was, was not the one to re-engage it in your life, you, you may get it back, but you may get more than you bargained for. And so when we look at the reality of the way <laughs> these sections, we're in the section of the book of John called the book of signs from chapters one to about chapter 12. 
is called the book of signs. And there are a bunch of signs in the book, but John organizes his book differently. In other books of the Bible, like in other gospels, um, in Matthew and in, and, and in, and in, and in Mark and in, and in Luke, they, they start with a different beginning. Uh, um, um, in Matthew, it starts uh, with his genealogy. Uh, 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 and, 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 and Mark, it starts with his ministry. In Luke, it starts uh, 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 with, with, with the story surrounding his birth and then genealogy later. But John starts off at a different place. John is the last gospel writer to write and one of the younger ones writing and, and he wrote later. And what's interesting about John is John didn't want to start at his birth because that was already done. We know, we know he was born. He, he, he didn't want to start with his ministry as important as that was. That was already done. He didn't want to start with his genealogy because that was already done. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ, he wanted to show that Jesus Christ uh, 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 he transcends his ministry. He transcends uh, his genealogy and he uh, transcends his birth. In other words, he was pre-existent. That's why it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And, and, and he who was, he was in the beginning with God. In other words, uh, uh, he wanted to show the cosmological origins of Jesus Christ. In showing the cosmological origins of Jesus Christ, he, he's, he's trying to let you know that even though you see a man right here, there's more than a man that we've experienced, we've experienced the living God. And so in experiencing the living God and understanding that in this book of signs from chapter one through chapter two, to about the 12th chapter, we, we, we see seven signs. We see seven times signs prior to what's called the upper room discourse. Um, 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 so, so, so the first, so the first, uh, the, the first sign is interesting. The first sign is, 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 is the wedding at Canaan. Now, let me give you this parenthetically. Anytime God performs a sign, anytime God does something in your life, he's trying to utilize that miracle to point to something bigger. He doesn't just want to do the miracle in your life. He doesn't just want to resurrect the thing in your life. He wants to point to something bigger. We're going to come back to that in a second. So in the wedding at Canaan was his first sign. He wanted to let us know that we, had, we can get through him renewed joy. In the healing of the official son, he wanted to show his ability uh, to, to, to do long-distance healing. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, in, in, in healing of the sick, he wanted to show that he has various ways in which he can heal any sickness and disease is not too much uh, for him to do. In the feeding of the 5K, he wanted to show that he was the bread of life. And, and walking on water, he wanted you to show you that he's over all elements and no, nothing on the periodical table is at limitations to him. Not only that, healing the blind, the, the man born blind is showing you that not just that he can heal blind, but he can give you spiritual sight even when you're in darkness. Not only that, now we come to the place where Lazarus is dead. And as we come here, this is the seventh sign, and this is like a climactic sign, if you will, because even in the text, you'll see the tension of people wondering, is, is the one who did all of these other things, was he able to stop this guy from dying? Now, it's funny how we ask questions about God as if he ain't shown us nothing in the first place. But I got one point, one point only, and I'm out your way today. Number one and one and only point, your losses are about seeing and experiencing a bigger Jesus. Your losses are about seeing and experiencing 
If you're writing this down, I want you to capitalize singing and experiencing a bigger Jesus. Look at verse 1. It says, it says, now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It's interesting here because he, he's very, very specific, John is, about uh, this person. Now, it's interesting that the name Lazarus means whom God helps. I like that. <laughs> Somebody ought to name their next child Lazarus. Whom God helps or whose help is God. Oh, that's, that'll preach right by itself. In other words, the, 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 the text is giving you a parenthetical clue through the name in the beginning that God is your help. Well, you know one of the easiest things for us to forget in our life and that I forget in my life often is that God is our help. We, we have to begin to be very, very careful of acting like God isn't a good help and a present help in a time of storm. See, God will bring us through different cliffhangers in our life, and then we get into another one. We get selective amnesia about the goodness of God and how God is able to work in our lives. And so you got to be careful of getting selective amnesia about what God is able to do. There's nothing in your life that's too big for him to do. Let's keep on moving. So it, it sets the stage as Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and gives who Mary is very, very specific in the way it talks about them. It goes down and it says, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was, Laz it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. It's building, the, the narrative prose is building for us the argument of, 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 of how committed these people are to Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, um, um, he was sick and she was committed to Jesus. Let me say that again. She was, he was sick. She was committed to Jesus. He wanted to, the text, the author is trying to show you how committed they are to Jesus which would automatically trigger in most of us minds that our commitment to Jesus means Jesus got to be committed to us on our terms. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, because some of us think, because we, 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 we live a teeny bit right, that Jesus owes us things in our timing and in our way and in the way we want it done. But I, I, I've come to recognize in my own life that Jesus doesn't owe me anything. And listen, my righteousness is as filthy rags anyway. And if it had not been for the goodness of God and the grace of God upholding and strengthening me, where would you and I be? So listen, listen, uh, the, the text is laying this stuff out, but it's important for us to know uh, about what the text says. Now, look at what it says. It says, so the sisters sent a message to him. Now, this is interesting. I, I, this is the first time, and I guess doing the Bible study methods has been reawakening my ability to, to continue to observe the Bible in fresh ways. It's interesting that they sent a message that says, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, what I, what I noticed about the text is nowhere in the text did they ever ask Jesus to heal Lazarus. It, I, that, that's really confusing to me. <clears throat> like if, if, if the first thing I'm doing when somebody gets sick or I get sick, is I'm saying God heal. But what's interesting, it, it was all, I don't know if they were just like, I know he going to come over here. You know, it's kind of like the one who you, hey, the one who, who, who you love, he's sick. It's, it's interesting here. But, but, but they never asked, they never asked Jesus. It's almost as if they were expecting to get word from Jesus wherever he was that Lazarus was healed, but they never asked. Look at verse 4. It says, when Jesus heard it, 
So you can imagine, they sent word, Jesus is standing there with his disciples. He heard, he hears, he hears that Lazarus is sick. And then he said, oh, this sickness will not end in death. In other words, in, in our language, that would mean he's going to get better. But then he says something strange. But is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's the key statement in the entire passage. If you want to have a subject purpose statement for this chapter, it's two. The, next, the other one is later. But in this section of the pericope, this is literally the subject purpose statement. He said, this sickness will not end in death. <laughs> but, 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 but Jesus wanted to let them know that Jesus, Jesus wanted to let them know that Lazarus's, this is weird though, sickness was a part of God's plan. Now, 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 God, you allow me to get sick and you're saying my sickness is a part of your plan in order that the son of man may be glorified through the sickness. Now, I want you to keep that in your mind as we read the text and recognize what John is doing in the text. Now, when he says glory, he says this a couple of times in the text. He says glory and he says glorified. <clears throat> the point of this reality of talking about uh, uh, um, um, Jesus being glorified is that Jesus states this in the passage several times. First, he says it when Lazarus gets sick and he will be glorified. And he says it after, uh, after later. So this is a huge redemptive word, the word glory. The word glory here is doxa, which means high honor. However, um, because these are Hebrews, they would have had the Hebrew understanding of, uh, 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 of, the word, uh, of the word glory in their mind, even in the way the author is using it in writing in the current language that the New Testament is translated in. Listen to me. The word uh, for, for uh, uh, the Hebrew word for doxa is kabod. Somebody say kabod. Uh, uh, kabod. In, in, other, in, in other words, doxa in its uh, uh, lexical form means weight, heaviness, if you will. In other words, in other words, uh, uh, doxa is interesting. Doxa is an interesting word, or kabod is an interesting word because kabod uh, uh, is 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 the ability. It's it's almost immaterial, if you will, but it's the representation of all of God's attributes coming to bear in us feeling the heaviness and value of it in our life. Everything that God wants to do in our life, he wants us to, to literally put his, his, his value in our life on a scale and have his value greater than anything else in our life. And sometimes, listen, God has to take you through some stuff so that you can value him more. Some of you wouldn't value God if you didn't go through all the hell you've been through. Some of you wouldn't glorify God if you didn't have a broken heart like you had. Some of you wouldn't glorify God anymore if you didn't go through the loneliness that you went through. Some of you wouldn't glorify God if it wasn't this pandemic. Some of you wouldn't glorify God if you didn't have some losses in relationships, some losses of resources, some loss. Some of y'all lost your mind, and that was even for the glory of God. Because let me tell you something, family of God. There's nothing in your life, there's nothing in your life that God isn't utilizing as recycled material for his glory. Listen, <clears throat> listen, I put out the recycling bin once a week, my, what my son does, and, and, and all of those materials that are thrown away are used for something 
greater than what it was used for once we were finished with it. That's what God wants to do in our life, and that's what his glory <clears throat> brings to bear on our life. Verse 5, it says, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Now, why is it, why, it's, it's as if it's making a big deal out of Jesus' intimacy with them. The reason why it's making a big deal out of Jesus' intimacy with them is simple as this. <clears throat> I, I like the fact that Jesus had real relationships. Can I just pause there and just not even talk? This is almost not even talk. Jesus had community. Jesus had people. He, like this, Jesus loved everybody. We know that. But here it said Jesus loved them. In other, in other words, these, these, these were people that he was real, real tight with. I don't know if Lazarus was his best friend, but I know that when he was hanging in that region, he would stay at their crib and they would take care of Jesus. And I don't know if they were asking them theological questions all the time. They may have just talked about life. In other words, there was an intimacy there. Now, why is that an issue in this text? Because it wants to show you how Jesus views his relationships for, his gl for God's glory and not merely his own personal benefit. That's good. <laughs> look, at verse, look at verse six. We're going to see in a second. It says, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Stayed two more days. <clears throat> in other words, Jesus delayed on purpose. <laughs> Jesus delayed on purpose. Sometimes he does this in our lives on purpose, family. Many times God delays to see how we are processing in the gaps of delay. I'm going to hang here for a few seconds. <laughs> Jesus wants to see how you process in the gaps. What are the gaps? The gaps is between prayer and promise. <laughs> prayer and promise. In other words, even though it may be a promise and he doesn't have to do it, but he's going to do it many times when God seems to let you down because he didn't come through the way you wanted him to and the timing that you wanted him to. He, he creates gaps to show you where you are and how you process. Listen, <coughs> how you process in the gaps. These gaps are periods that can, uh, that, that, that's that can be very telling of where our hearts are. The gaps are all about how you process while you wait. When, when, when you're waiting on God to do something and he's not doing it, what do you begin to do? It's like, it's like you know, I, I, you know when so, I remember somebody's come, supposed to come pick me up when I was little, and I knew how they were, and they were on their way. I, they said they was on their way. And as they said they was on their way, you know, I'm like, where they at, man? They supposed to been here by now. Man, we're going to miss this, man. Man, if they don't get here, we're not going to see the show. Man, the movie about to start. And I'm going through all of these different frustrations about them because they're not coming in the way and the timing that I want them to come. And guess what we do with God? I'm, man, God always got to come late. I know they say he's all right on time, but right on time for him and right on time for me different. You know, some of us feel that way because right on time for us is right when we ask it, right on time for God has a process of sanctification that exposes where you are in relation to what you think about God, how you think he works, and whether or not you'll trust him and even believe that by faith he's going to come through for you no matter what. How are you processing in the gap of this crisis that we're in? 
<clears throat> How are you processing? How are you thinking through what's going on? Or is God still good now? Does God have to, does everything have to be up and running in your life the way you want it to be for God to be good? Or is God good anyhow, anyway, and anywhere and all the time? So during the gaps, how do you think about God? How do you manage your heart in the gaps? How, how, how do you press into him and his word in the gaps? God uses the delays and gaps to refine how you process your faith. Let me say this again. God uses the gaps to refine how you process your faith. I know many of you know what my wife and I have been through with illness. And I can remember, many of you know she got two transplants. One of the things that, um, that, that happens when you when you're assessed and in need of a liver transplant, is one of the things that ends up happening <clears throat> is they assess you, they put you on a list, and then you wait. And you wait. But in waiting, even though you're on the list, things are progressively getting worse physically. Because usually, to get transplanted, you're, pretty, you're in pretty bad shape by the time you're on the list. So you gotta be in a certain level of illness to be able to be considered on the list. So that gap in between when you're put on the list and, and, and when the transplant comes, it's no determined time in which you'll be transplanted. And so things can get worse. And many times in that gap, you can just be so frustrated and broken and given up. And that's how many of us can be in our gaps. But God is the God who affirms us and strengthens us even in the midst of the gaps and delays in our life. Look, at, look down to verse 21. Verse 21 says, Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's what Jesus finally gets there. So we see that Jesus finally shows up, and we see that Jesus finally comes in, and he, he shows up. And it's funny, he comes two miles away from the, from the village, and he walking all, you know, he just chilling, talking to people. Now, Lazarus has already died. Now, we, you'll see in the text earlier, what it'll say, Lazarus is dead, right? It'll say Lazarus is dead. Uh, 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 um, but, but this, uh, you know, I, can I, let, let's, let's do some good observations in the text, family. Now, it, it would have been, been dope if Jesus would have showed up <clears throat> right as Lazarus was about to die and made a grand entrance. Here I am. Get up, Lazarus. You good, right? He didn't do that. Jesus came after he died. This is a little, this is a little disrespectful, they would think, huh? He came after he died, even though they told him that he, was, he, he died. Jesus did not have to delay, and they knew he didn't have to delay, right? He skipped the funeral. Jesus skipped a dear friend's funeral. Because he, he, either, either God showed him that he died, or somebody came and said, Lazarus is dead. So he skipped the funeral as a friend. That's crazy. And he skipped the grief gathering that was normal in Jewish culture, even though they were still, they were still it was four days into a month of grieving. He, did, he wasn't part of the original Greek processional, right? <clears throat> but but, but so, so, so Jesus coming a little late, to them may be, seem a little disrespectful. So 
Jesus is, is, why would you let me go? This, this, this is interesting. This is what we ask Jesus a lot of times. Jesus, why would you let me go all the way through the process of pain and death? Sometimes God lets you go all the way through it. Hear me. Sometimes God will not rescue you from pain. What do you do and what do you say when he doesn't rescue you from your pain? Yes, that's the feeling that many can have of God not rescuing them from their pain. In other words, God, Jesus, not rescuing you from your pain. Now, this, is, this was interesting. <coughs> Jesus says this. This for the glory of God. <clears throat> now, if you, now, let's be real. Sometimes that don't feel like enough. It's like, Jesus, could you just have rescued me and that be for the glory of God? Could you have just stopped my children from dying, God? Could you have stopped Lord God, me from losing my job. Could you have stopped me from going through this illness? Could you have stopped? Why in the world would you let me go all the way through the process and say something like this was for the glory of God? When you say or you denounce, if you make God's glory lower than your pain, you need it to go through the loss. Why? Because if you're angry at God about your pain and at some point his glory doesn't become greater than your pain, then your pain was necessary so that the weight of God's glory can be greater than what you went through. You, know, you, you can't grow spiritually, family, until God's glory is greater than your pain. You, 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 that, that's, that's when you know your life, you, you've grown spiritually, when you can see God's glory through your pain. So sometimes God lets you go through the pain so that his glory is seen more effectively because, because God just doing it without the pain doesn't help you to process through your frustrations and your real feelings about God. Because, because when God didn't come through, what you felt about God and your frustrations with God didn't come from that situation. Those were dormant feelings that were in you that your situation exposed. And so when exposing that, God, God, how's this glory enough? He's going to show us. Verse 24, uh, he, he told him in verse 23, he said, your brother will rise again. Jesus told her. And this, is, this is where it gets kind of funny. <clears throat> verse 24. She's like, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I remember the seminary class you taught Jesus. So I know, theologically, she's like, I know. And it's almost like, it's almost like somebody saying to you after a loved one die, you're going to see them again while you're grieving. It's like, I don't need to hear that right now. I want to grieve right now, right? But Jesus is saying something different than the average person who's trying to make someone feel better in their grief. He's saying something more stupendous and more powerful and more beautiful. Look, look at verse 25. He says, Jesus said to her, Ego hai me. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, 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 this is interesting 
because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. This is powerful. Now, Jesus is making a statement. Why is he making a statement? He's making this statement because he doesn't want her to disconnect the resurrection from him. This is so good. In other words, <clears throat> she said, I know he'll come in a resurrection at some point in time. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection. What is he meaning by this? He wants good theology to be met with good experiences. This is key. In other words, he wants her to experience her theology, not just have theology and Bible information. He wants her to experience the reality of who he is because Jesus Christ, we know that the Bible, the I am statements are pretty huge. He says, I am the resurrection. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door and the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the true vine. He, all of those I am statements localize him pointing back to the Echir statement in, in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 when God said, tell him I am sent you. Jesus is equating himself with that. <coughs> so he finally gets to the village and he's around the grief. He cries. He enters into their pain. It's interesting though. The shortest verse in the Bible where it says Jesus wept. In that experience, Jesus entered their pain even though he knew what he was going to do. Even when you go through pain that God is going to deliver you from and glorify himself through and develop you through, he still enters into it because he feels the pain that you feel. God isn't like this coach, this, this non-emotive coach that's just coaching you on the field of life and, and, and is disconnected from what you're actually experiencing. No, he's actually entered the experience of pain with you. He's not just God transcendent. He's God eminent right in your circumstances. So it says, everyone who lives, verse 30 to 26, believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> verse 38, it says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came. He saw the people crying and they asking questions. Is, is, is this, do you think he can raise them from the, do you think, they asking these questions. He came to the tomb. It was a cave <laughs> and a stone was lying against it. And as Jesus is standing out there, a crowd gathers. This is, this is eternal swag moment of all times. Jesus says, remove the stone. Jesus said to Martha, Jesus said to Martha, the dead man's sister told him, Lord, now Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for days. Now, in their culture, the body would be wrapped and left lying on the floor in a tomb in an in a antechamber. And only after a year, when the flesh had rotted off, would the family members return to collect the bones and put them in a box. So Jesus is basically at the tomb where he has already began decomposition. 
Now, now I want you to hear this. Decomposition, uh, what is the process like? Decomposition begins immediately after death when the circulatory system stops functioning. <laughs> the blood will settle with gravity, creating uh, lividity, if you will. After several hours, the muscles will also begin to stiffen in a process known as rigor mortis. The body temperature will begin to uh, 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 acclimate to the environment. The cells will begin to break down and release enzymes during the process called autolysis, which causes, which can cause blisters on the skin. And, 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 the, and the organisms in the digestive tract will begin to multiply, producing acids and gases, and that's where the stench comes from. Lazarus, after four days, is already breaking down. But even after all of this breakdown, Jesus says this. In verse 40, he says, Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. So they removed the stone. <coughs> the stench comes out. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. He already prayed about this. He said, I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe that you sent me. After this, he shouted, Lazarus! Come forth. Now, <clears throat> I, I know the old preacher said, I'm glad he called Lazarus because everybody would have got up from the grave if he'd have just said, come forth. <clears throat> but look at what happens, what had to happen. Remember, I told you what would happen <laughs> when the death, when, his, when, when the body decomposed. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. The circular story system started functioning again. The blood rose and started to flow again. The muscles became tender and mobile again. The body temperature came back up to 98.6. The cells began to regenerate. The blisters on the skin healed and was restored all the way up to the epidermis. The digestive tract was restored. And finally, the stench went away. Help me today, God. His spirit returned back in his body. He, he, he inhaled and exhaled. He woke up wrapped in a off, smelling the stench of what he was in, but it wasn't him that was stinking anymore in the darkness. His, his ears could hear the sound of the rock being rolled away, and he's like, in the air, he's like, what happened to me? What's going on? And he was grabbed by two people, and his ears of his best friend Jesus says, he hears Jesus' voice, and Jesus said, loose that man and let him go. Whatever God raises, when God resurrects something, he resurrected in detail. He resurrects every component of what died. Do you hear me today, family? He resurrects every component that died. What in your life is dead that is decomposing? that needs resurrection. God, listen, don't you ever think anything that's died. Somebody out there, you're giving up on your marriage. You're putting in the divorce papers. And Jesus is saying to Richard, she said, do you, do you know what that house smells like, Lord? Some, 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 someone has gone out there and started dating someone unsaved. And you say, I'm not coming back. Some of you have left the faith. For you, the faith has died. You know what those Christians smell like, Lord? 
what, what in your life have you given up on that God wants to resurrect? The stench of what it was will change if you let Jesus get to it. Go into different areas of your life. What stones have you put over places in your life? Places of pain. Places where you've experienced darkness and you've locked it away. The first step to resurrecting something in your life is revisiting where you laid it. And from there, you have to see the stone in this text wasn't really necessarily hard to move. What made it hard to move is not the muscles of the people, but the emotions of the experience. What in your life have you disconnected from that God wants to raise? God wants to raise it. God wants to raise it. He's able to restore, renew, and overhaul every area of your life. My prayer for you today is that Christ, that you would learn him today. This is what they learned, that he's the resurrection of life. He wants you to learn the same lesson. Because out of what your pain was, Jesus was trying to show you something about him, not merely get you freedom. Because freedom, without knowing who Jesus is, is bondage. But freedom, or experiencing a resurrection and seeing who Jesus is, is a beautiful montage of getting a bigger picture of who Jesus Christ is. Listen, if Jesus doesn't raise it, it'll remain dead. But if Jesus, if Jesus raises it up, it'll be brand spanking new for you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never placed your confidence in Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to come into your life and bring brand spanking newness of life. If you put your confidence that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the grave, you place your confidence in what he did, that he got it from the grave, you will be saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and you want more information on trusting Him as Savior, up in the comments right there, you can put your email address, uh, you, uh, they have the email address rather in the comments and they will, and you can email admin at epiphanyfellowship.org or whatever address they have there. Um, uh, it may be our harvester's address, our, our, our had address for our new uh, evangelism team and they'll get to you and they'll talk to you, call you and talk to you more about what it means to place your confidence in Jesus. Believer, today, I want to pray for the believer today. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the person, <clears throat> the believer, that um, never, that, that's basically given up on some things. And if you place your trust in Christ, I'm going to pray for you, but I'm also going to pray for the believer. You've given up on some things, and God is showing you, I'm going to revisit it and resurrect it, even though you gave up on it. Father, touch the person that trusted Christ, Touch the person that has given up on your ability to make things new. God, I pray that you would renew their minds and help them to have the emotional fortitude to revisit pain and places and persons that is a bad memory for them, Lord God. But I'm praying that if you're raising something up in relation to that thing, Lord God, I'm praying in the mighty name of Jesus that you would help them to have the emotional fortitude and strength from you to take away the stone in their life 
that's covering what you want to resurrect, and I pray that you would speak into it. God, we thank you. God, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take care. Much love. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully, the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.